in the service. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Try not to keep you a long time tonight and try to uh, keep this very basic and simple, but helpful, I hope, I trust. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. When we originally started these missions focus nights, uh, each month we were actually working through the material, uh, at least part of the material, from our missions class. Then COVID hit and everything got canceled. And the missions class is the one real piece of the church that has not opened back up. And interestingly enough, I have been praying about this every week for the last almost two years, asking the Lord uh, when he wants us to restart, and I just can't get clarity on that. And so I just don't know when that's going to take place. Uh, but recently in our missions nights, we've been kind of bouncing back and forth between material that we have covered in the class and then messages that are not part of that class. And tonight's kind of an in-between. It wasn't part of the original curriculum, but it did substitute a couple of times as lessons in the missions class. So I have some thoughts tonight, some basic thoughts on 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. We'll just take on verse number 4 and 5 tonight. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I suppose it's been nearly 20 years ago now, I was in a conversation with a friend, and in the middle of this conversation, this friend quoted these verses. And as conversations do, the conversations quickly changed and, you know, went on to different things, and so the, the conversation went, but these verses didn't. These verses stuck. I wish I had a dollar for every time these verses have come to my mind since that time. Today's a, uh, today, this week is a fairly typical week on this. One of the college and career students mentioned this verse on Wednesday night. When I was looking through uh, the notes for tonight, uh, this verse came up, and when I opened my Kindle to study, my Bible app opened up, and it was on this verse. And that's fairly typical about how the last 20 years have gone in my world. These verses, these two, two particular verses, this thought keeps coming up again and again. So let's pray and then consider a few thoughts from this particular passage. Father, we bless your name, and we are so thankful for all that you've already done, and we thank you for the privilege of partnering with missionaries around the world. And Lord, we need to understand this subject so that we might minister correctly. And so, Lord, open our eyes to truth, for we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Consider, if you would, with me for a moment, the task of a missionary. Let me give you a very common scenario. A man grows up in the, in the United States. He lives a typical teenage life. He isn't brilliant of mind. He's not unusually talented or wealthy. 
He comes from a typical American family. They're not influential. They're not famous. They're not anything like that. But he's sitting underneath the preaching of the gospel, and God calls him to the foreign field to be a missionary. So this young man goes off to Bible college. He studies for four years. He does his best that he can. He learns to get up in front of people. He learns to overcome his fear of public speaking. And he learns other necessary things. And after four years, he graduates from college. He gets married. He gets ordained by his home church. He applies and is accepted by a mission board. This young man starts traveling the country on what's called deputation. And after a couple of years of traveling, his support is raised, and he heads off to language school, either in the country where he's going to end up or a country close by that has a better language school than, program than what his own country has. After a year of school, he's not exactly fluent, but he can hold a conversation and do reasonably well with the language. He is not a highly trained genius with amazing abilities and influential parents. He's just a typical guy who's went through four years of college learning as much as he can. He's not extremely gifted, and he barely knows the language. Now, what is the task that he's been given? This man is supposed to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who have never heard. He's, he is being sent to a place that is not non-religious or anti-religious, but a place that has been steeped in the same false religion for hundreds or even thousands of years. These people are not clueless about religion. They've had religion. They're satisfied, if you want to call it that, with their religion. He's going there as an outsider to tell them that everything that they believe is false and that all of his, their ancestors who followed that religion, are eternally separated from God. Now, how well do you think that's going to be received? That's what he's going to do. Then he has to tell them about a name that they have never heard, Jesus Christ, from a book they have never seen, the Bible, and try to establish an organization that they have never experienced, a local New Testament church. In most cases, they will never have seen a true Christian, so there'll be no long-term proof in the pudding as they sh to show them as an example. On top of that, often the society will be hostile to anyone who even considers what he teaches. And often they'll be outright, deliberately open in their persecution to anyone who actually believes. So here's this guy who's not incredibly skilled or talented, who only barely knows the language. He's going to a people who've never heard what he's talking about and are, have a, a built-in reasons to be against it. Now, if this were a business transaction, and you were a businessman, would you back this business venture? Would you put your money behind this and say, this is going to make us a ton of money, this is going to be an ultimate success? you would say, I just don't think this is going to fly, Orville. This has almost no chance at all of succeeding. 
How can a man with limited ability and limited training with only a rudimentary grasp of the language have any hope of success in a hostile foreign country already steeped in a false religion for centuries? And if he does succeed with one, that person will be considered an outcast in the society. Now, the truth is, what I've just presented is only the tip of the iceberg of, as far as the problems go. A few years ago, I read a, an article written by Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India. And in this article, she painted a much, much, much more impossible picture than what I just described of people try, trying to lead people to Christ in India. And after reading the article that she had written, you came to the conclusion that anybody getting saved in India at that time was an impossibility. And then she went on to tell about all the people who had come to know the Lord. Now, Hudson Taylor was not an imposing figure. In fact, most people when they met him were sure that he must not be the guy they'd heard about. And yet, his going to China altered the history of that country. How can this be? It doesn't make any sense at all until you read 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You have to understand, it is the power of God. We like to calculate and tabulate and plot and plan and figure a way to reach the world, but when it boils down, it boils down to one thing. It is the power of God. If we in our own wisdom, in our own power, our own convincing, our own strategy work out a plan to reach the world or the country or the community or our next door neighbor, it will not stand the test of time. D.L. Moody tells of a story. He's a famous preacher in Chicago. He was walking down the street and there's a man laying in the gutter drunk as he walks by. And the man looks up and says to Moody, Mr. Moody, I'm one of your converts. And Moody says, yes, you look like one of mine. There's a lot of truth in that. That's the results that we have. It is not done in our power. It is and must always be the power of God. It's not the wisdom or planning or power that you possess. It is the power of God. I don't know where God wants to demonstrate his power through you. I don't know where that's at. You realize at this moment the world is in desperate need of the gospel. All around the world there are places that have not heard of the Lord Jesus. And missionaries, laborers in the field are in short supply. I believe with all of my heart that this church, we should be praying that God would take people out of this congregation from this church and send them around the world. I believe that we ought to be praying for the young, for the middle-aged and the old. We should be praying 
to that end that God would send forth laborers. And I believe that every single one of us should be willing to go where the Lord wants to send us. God may very well have a place a long ways away from here for you. Or it may be here in your neighborhood, in your office, and in your community. Wherever it is, it must be a demonstration of his power. It must be. It is not done with man's wisdom, but with the power of God. So let me give you four quick pointers here. Number one. Sorry, I got something right there on my glasses. Number one, don't rely on your own ability. Don't rely on your own ability. Sure, you should study the Bible and know what it says. Yes, you should know how to present the gospel to other people. But don't rely on that. It's not your ability to speak clearly. It's not your great insight or wisdom. It's not your impeachable arguments. Unimpeachable, sorry. It's not your unimpeachable arguments. It must be the power of God that does the work. Do not rely on your own ability. Number two, don't calculate results based on your own perception. Don't calculate results based on your own perception. You know, we like to keep score with the things of the Lord. We like to calculate success based on what we perceive. If people appear attentive, we put it in the positive category. The Lord must be working. This is just a real quick aside. I learned a long time ago to not do this. When you work with teenagers, you, there's a learning curve in this. Sometimes the teenagers, most of the time, teenagers don't look like they're paying attention. But in the youth group, when I first started, Casey Quick always looked like he was paying attention. Like he was glued to every word, hanging on every word I was saying. The rest of them looked like they were in la-la land. But Casey, he's just glued right there. And so you're speaking to him. And I said, Casey, and I asked him a question. He said, Sorry, but I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> the only one glued to me, and he wouldn't have a clue. But I was also sitting with, talking with a girl one time, and she's in her chair. She's just going like this, back and forth in her chair. And she's got her electronic device, and she's going like this with it. And I'm like, you know, this is the rudest thing I've ever seen. I'm sitting here talking, and you're just totally ignoring me. And when I watched, when she went like that, I saw the screen was empty. It was black. She's going like this. What was she doing? That's how she was concentrating. Her mind, that's how, you ever, do, you ever look at what you do on a piece of paper when you're trying to concentrate? You doodle all over it. And this was her way of concentrating, was going like this. And, and so I'm thinking she's being as rude as possible. And actually, her mind was working. We cannot base what's happening on our perception. We analyze what we perceive and we keep score. How many people went forward? How many people raised their hand? Oh, well, that went well, or that didn't go well. If we don't see things happen, we chalk it up as a negative. But just because you perceive it one way doesn't make it so. I was talking with a young man at Meyer Hall. I gave him the gospel, and he understood it clearly. And said, no, not interested. 
So he went back to his room. Two or three weeks passed. I ca he came out again, and we were talking, and he's talking like he knows the Lord. I said, last time we talked, you, he says, well, I was in my room a week and a half after we talked, and I said, it's time to get saved. What? The Lord does his own work. And just because you perceive that it didn't go well or how you, you thought it ought to go doesn't mean that's the way that it is. It is the power of God. Daniel's father-in-law, some people, were, he was working for him as a young person, and they kept get pouring the gospel into him, kept pouring the gospel, and he would never react to it at all. And then one day he's watching television. He's an adult now, and he's watching a, televi uh, a television preacher. And everything those people had said to him comes pouring back into his mind. And he gets saved right there in front of the television set. If they'd have been keeping score, they thought, boy, we're just pouring these seeds into a, a dead hole. That's not how this goes. It's not your wisdom. It is the power of God. So don't calculate results either way based on your perception. Number three, don't get talked into using your own strength or wisdom. Don't get talked into using your own strength or wisdom. People often make a mistake of giving credit to people when they minister for what God did. They will say they'll be blessed by a song that somebody says, some special music that somebody does, or a message that somebody preaches, and they'll come up and say, you are such a wonderful singer, the Lord, you're so blessed, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's a trap, my friend, because if you listen to that long enough, they're mistaking what God did and giving you credit for it. If anything happened, God did it. But if you listen to that, there's a trap. And the next thing you know, you might say, oh, it's time for me to sing up a special. So up I go. I got this one. I got this message. I can, I, these people, I've led people, dozens of people to the Lord. So here, let me, let me show you how. Do not get tricked into using your own abilities. It's very easy to happen. Be very careful about this. It is the power of God that blesses people and changes their lives. Number four, don't avoid opportunities to minister based on your own ability. Don't avoid opportunities to minister based on your own ability. You know, it's very easy to fall prey to ministering in your own strength and ability. You can sing... You have a, a ability to speak, and so it's very easy to fall into that and minister in your own ability. It's even easier to avoid ministering because you don't have any strength or ability. Oh, I can't do that because I can't do that. It's true. You can't, on your own, minister properly. That is true if you are the most talented person on the planet or the least talented person on the planet. Your ability, one way or another, isn't the issue. It's the power of God that must be displayed to have any real effect. And it is very easy to excuse yourself from ministering because I just don't have that ability. It is not your ability it is the power of God.
missions work around the world and around the corner must be based in this fact. We can't, but he can. It is in the power of God. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It is the power of God that does the work that changes lives. Let's pray. Father, we